Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Weekend of Dave's. Uh, I'm your host, David Silbert, and yeah, it's been a while. Um, I feel like this has almost become part of the like tag or the intro whenever we do a new Weekend of Dave's episode. It's like, oh, you know, hey, it's been a while. I guess at this point, you know what, you've come to expect that it's going to be a little, it's going to be infrequent. Uh, I think the idea is when there's something interesting to talk about, in gaming, in entertainment, something that I, I really am psyched about, really jazzed about. That's when I'm going to come out and, and really feel compelled to make a new episode. I just, something about, the, I guess the summer is kind of a lull point for, especially for games. Um, it's ironically the inverse for movies, but at least as far as games are concerned, it's a little bit of a, a time to, to catch up on the backlog, go outside, catch some fresh air, go to the gym. But as of late, with fall coming up, I really wanted to do uh, an interesting episode this time around. Uh, it's kind of broken up into two segments, a bit of an appetizer and a main course, if you will. Appetizer segment is all about Xbox Game Pass, and the question for discussion today is, is it the best value in gaming? Main course, we will uh, then proceed to talk about the upcoming games throughout the re for the rest of, of 2019, what those big releases look like. And basically, just I'd love to walk through my thought process when it comes to evaluating what games are worth attention, what games are worth purchasing. Personally, this is from a backlog perspective based on what I'm calling keys. Basically, the, the backlog keys. And I'll, I'll get into that a little more later, but just to give you a heads up, that's the, the roadmap for today. Yeah, let's hop right in. So first up, I wanted to talk a little bit about Xbox Game Pass. The reason this came up recently was because around July 4th, I think it was actually... On July 4th, while I was taking the fireworks like everybody else, I was trying, scrambling to, to sign up for this promotion that Microsoft was doing in which basically they're trying to get people to try out Xbox Game Pass. It's, it's, it's not exactly a secret that Microsoft has been pushing this subscription-based model onto gamers and, 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 a lot of, and a lot of the feedback has been really positive from from Xbox owners saying it's the best value, it's a it's a great value for gamers. It kind of make in in, in a way it kind of makes up for the lack of first party support that Microsoft has had in the Xbox One era. So I decided to take this uh, give a look for myself. This promotion was especially enticing. I think it's still ongoing. It's if it's not ongoing, it's it, it's it goes away for a few weeks, a few months, and then it comes back. So for those who haven't signed up for this, I I urge you to do so. Basically, if you have a, an existing Xbox Live Gold membership for $1, just $1, you can upgrade your whatever months of gold you have left on your membership to Xbox Game Ultimate. So, for example, when I did it, I paid a dollar and I got a, I got an upgrade, essentially a free upgrade to Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, which includes both Xbox uh, Game Pass on Xbox One and Game Pass on PC. It includes both of those bundled into the Xbox Live Gold subscription for $1 through like April 2020 for me. But 
people have found ways to kind of uh, extend that even more. So if you if you purchase, for example, three years of gold at once, and then you upgrade, those three entire years will up, be upgraded at $1, no additional cost, basically, to Xbox Game Pass Ultimate. It only goes up to three years, so don't get too, too greedy. I decided ultimately that I was just going to do basically the remainder of my one-year subscription just because I figured, you know what, if it's worth the money, if, if this program's good, if it feels worth the $15 a month that it is normally, I'm, I'm totally fine with that. That that sounds good to me. Anyway, so long story short, I've already kind of long-winded story about how I got signed up and trying to explain uh, the steps for you guys. I've been kind of delving into Game Pass recently you know, trying to see just feel around and, and get a sense of what the service is like. And honestly, I've come around, uh, come away really, really surprised, uh, really thrilled with the service so far. I think a large part of it really stems from the fact that the library... I mean, the library is not comprehensive. It, it's, it doesn't include, for example, third parties across all these different publishers. But there's a good amount of stuff there, at least at the current moment. So right now I've pulled up the Xbox Game Pass page on Microsoft's website and some of the most popular games on there right now in terms of third party I think we should start with that you have Batman Arkham Knight Metro Exodus Hollow Knight uh, Mortal Kombat X Rocket League Monster Hunter World Just Cause 4 Wolfenstein 2 I believe uh, the New Order is also uh, on there as well. Uh, basically, I mean, there's there's a nice variety of games. Again, it's not comprehensive, but there there's a good... I mean, the Tomb Raider games are on there. Several Bethesda games are on there. Capcom's got some representation. Uh, Warner Brothers has some representation. And the games kind of cycle out after a certain amount of time. But what's here is... is, is Pretty dang good for, for, I mean, you know, these are some high-quality games that are being offered on the service. What I really want to focus on, though, for this segment is actually more about Microsoft's internal approach to Game Pass. So, virtually, I believe, every single Microsoft exclusive you can think of, from Gears 4 to Halo Master Chief Collection to Halo 5 to Sea of Thieves to Quantum Break, all of those games are offered on Game Pass they're included with the subscription. I think there's they, they never expire. I mean, unless it's a case where Microsoft doesn't own the IP, it's a second-party relationship, I could see maybe that would be something different. But by and large, every game that is kind of exclusive to the Microsoft platform or Microsoft ecosystem is included with Xbox Game Pass. I mean, it's, it's kind of the point that I'm trying to make here is that I think for somebody that's just jumping in to Microsoft to the Microsoft family of systems, this seems like a really incredible value. If you're just to pick up, like, a, let's say you buy, you know, the new discless Xbox One S, and you buy it with a year's membership to Game Pass Ultimate, or, or just base Game Pass on Xbox One, I mean, you're essentially set up with not only a pretty solid selection of third-party titles, but you're you basically have access to all of Microsoft's first-party efforts, and that includes also some Xbox originals as well, you know, in there for good measure, and Xbox 360 games, I believe, as well. I think I find this very interesting, because I feel like with Game Pass, this almost changes the dynamic of what Microsoft is trying to achieve, and and I'm kind of, maybe I'm kind of dancing around this a little bit, so I'll just come out and say it. Basically, I mean, what we've seen with Microsoft, and it's been, you know, clear as day that for the Xbox One era, Microsoft has kind of dropped the ball in terms of first-party content. They have 
failed to capitalize on uh, some of their greatest IP, uh, some of their greatest strengths. They've, you know, this has been a generation that's that's been become synonymous with cancellations from Platinum Games' scale bound, the Phantom Dust remake slash, I guess, the, yeah, the remake, uh, not the remaster, it was a full on remake, got canceled. Fable, you know, Lionhead being closed, Fable fading into obscurity. That has been what, uh, that's been Microsoft's le uh, legacy this generation, and it's been kind of sad to see. Meanwhile, we've seen. Basically, they've been carried along by by three singular franchises or core franchises for them, and that's been Halo, Gears of War, Forza, and at, you know ad nauseum, you can count on a new Halo game, a new uh, Gears game, a new Forza game. But I think a lot of the time, I mean, we were lucky to get even maybe one to two, one to two Microsoft ex you know, Xbox exclusives, Microsoft exclusives a year. And and they weren't even there wasn't even a guarantee that they'd be good. I mean, look at Crackdown Three, look at State of Decay Two. I mean, I know that some people will argue for Sea of Thieves. I know that based on what I've played, the game. And, and I mean, it seems to me like that game is definitely taking up more of a games as a service model, and that game seems to be improving significantly compared to what was available at launch, just in terms of content. And we've certainly covered in the past, you know, whether or not the all the the hate that the game got or the the backlash has been just or deserved but i think that that's actually an important thing to keep in mind keep, keep in mind all of this history for microsoft this generation for this like six to seven year generation this is all very important because i feel like game pass unlocks a new certain potential for microsoft that i think is very interesting and this is all going back to the idea of the value of, of xbox game pass but games as a service is becoming bigger and bigger as we go along. We've seen it with Fortnite, we've seen it with Apex Legends, we've seen it with Rainbow Six Siege, we've seen it with The Division, Destiny. These games where content is added long after the game releases, thus expanding its lifespan, giving it more legs, more room to breathe. This is interesting with Game Pass because theoretically you buy an Xbox or a, a, a Scarlet down the line and you have Game Pass attached, you're getting basically front row seats. Like you're getting VIP access you're getting to be there first for every one of Microsoft's core or first party games. So Sea of Thieves, you know, if you weren't, if you didn't buy into it right away, if you have a Game Pass subscription, hey, it's it's no skin off your back. Like you, you can choose to play Sea of Thieves either back when it released or now, or you could decide not to. I mean, it's, it's this Netflix style subscription based model that makes it really interesting to me, which is that... Compared to other, in the past, when I have a backlog, everything I'm buying is a la carte, essentially. Everything I'm buying is piecemeal, because that's just how traditional games, sales, and, and collections have, have worked in the past. Now, with this idea that everything is tied to a subscription, it adds more flexibility, in fact. You know, some people might think that it, it takes away flexibility. I, I would argue that it adds flexibility to the situation because if you have a game like Sea of Thieves, if you decide it's not for you, that's fine. You know, it was included in the subscription, whatever. You don't need to play it if you don't want to, but you can also keep it in the corner of your eye or in the corner of your mind, see how it develops over time, and you'll always have it at your fingertips. It's always there. Like, it's kind of, you can opt out or you can opt in. Like, it's, it's, it's kind of wonderful, the idea that Microsoft is bringing everything along with it for this ride on Xbox Game Pass. And this kind of ties into now Microsoft's potential future with this service as it begins to 
it's been pretty well documented that Microsoft is trying to expand its first party studio moving forward. So it's it's purchased seven studios since I guess in the past year and a half. It has purchased Playground Games, who makes Forza Horizon, Undead Labs, who make State of Decay, Ninja Theory, who is known for Heavenly Sword and Enslaved and Hellblade most recently. The developers behind Contrast. They've purchased In Exile. They've purchased Obsidian. And finally, they've purchased Double Fine. And on top of all of that, they've formed their own internal studio, The Initiative, which is taking talent from a wide variety of really talented developers across the industry. Bioware, Rockstar, etc., etc. This is really interesting because I feel like Microsoft is very much geared towards investing now so they can have a future later. And this this would normally not be I mean such a big deal. You know, if you're if you're a Sony and you've always kind of prided yourself on having important first and second party relationships, I mean nothing nothing really changes if you're Sony, if you were the ones acquiring new studios. All it means is that you have an expanded catalog and that's something that Sony's always been doing. The thing that's interesting, the thing that to me makes this a really interesting decision by Microsoft is the fact that their commitment to Xbox Game Pass, their commitment to those having a subscription, basically having the game day one included, no questions asked. It doesn't seem like they're going to exclude any content. Like I imagine that Halo Infinite will be a Game Pass title when it launches. I, I can't, I don't remember if that's been confirmed or not, but I mean, that's, that's basically my thought process is down the line, any game that Microsoft publishes will be on this service because they want to entice people to, to buy into the subscription model. And this plays in quite nicely to our next segment on the podcast, uh, where we talk about some of these upcoming games coming out later for this year and how, I mean, some of them might be on Game Pass. Some of them might be a game that maybe I wouldn't have, wouldn't have necessarily wanted or wanted to purchase day one, or maybe I felt a little bit of guilt in adding to the backlog, but because it's on Game Pass, all of a sudden it's a, you know, I feel a lot better about wanting to try it, and I and I feel like it's, it's basically Xbox Game Pass, I think, long story short, getting back to the question at hand, I think it's an excellent value for gamers. I think, uh, especially if you, if you haven't, you've never played the games that are on there now. I mean, at the moment, I think you could debate whether or not it's a great value. A lot of these games like Quantum Break and Gears 4, I mean, they're like 20 bucks now if you want to go to the store. So it's not like you're saving tons and tons of money on Microsoft's portfolio, which is pretty small if you just consider the Xbox One side of things. However, with the potential moving forward for new games from Obsidian, new games from In Exile, new games from The Initiative, The Coalition, uh, Playground Games, Turn 10, all of Microsoft Studios now, when you consider all of that potential wrapped into this pretty reasonable asking price or monthly fee uh, for Xbox Game Pass. Honestly, I mean, I'm pretty psyched. I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes from now. I don't know if I go so far right now as to say it's the best value in gaming. I mean, right now, there are few... Those kind of value-based uh, services or subscriptions... They're few and far between. I mean, you could, I guess you could make an argument for like Plus or even games with gold. Just having an Xbox Live gold account means that you get some 
additional games with your subscription. So I, I, I don't know if I'd make a definitive yes that Xbox Game Pass is the end-all be-all, but I, I'm willing to go out on a limb here and say that three, four years down the line, like as we move into the next generation and especially as we get deeper into that generation, I could see this paying dividends for Microsoft. I think it's a, it's a, it's a win uh, for Microsoft who really wants to seemingly wants to move away from the box in the future and move towards just the games and the infrastructure for people to play what they want, where they want. Uh, I think it's a win for them because I think, I think it's, it's doing well. And I think it's a win for gamers because it gives them more options, more flexibility in how they consume their media. And and, and even for like backloggers like me and those who I believe frequent the site, I think it's just good because when I'm watching television on Netflix or I'm watching anime on Crunchyroll or something like that, usually I don't feel any sort of guilt in deciding to drop a show because I didn't like the first few episodes. Or, you know, if I haven't gone to a show that I'm really jazzed about, I'm not feeling this intense guilt because at the end of the day, I'm paying a flat monthly fee to watch as much television as I want. Um, so there's no real backlog. I mean, that's really it. The backlog is just kind of artificial in that case. Like it'll always be there unless it disappears, unless it goes off the service. That's another thing entirely. But if you apply that to game pass, I think it almost eliminates this whole concept of a backlog, which, oh my God, the namesake of the site might be in danger, but honestly, it's a good thing. Uh, it's a good thing if gaming moves towards a future where it's easier, it's more accessible for gamers to get into, uh, just the, the medium in general. And it makes them, it just makes them more willing to try games that they might not have tried before. You know, like, I'll, I'll end on this note that, uh, you know, Outer Wilds is a game that I've been really stoked to play on this service just because I probably would have bought it anyway, but it's a really inventive indie title. And I think it's a game that not, maybe not everybody would have played necessarily had it not been included on a service like Game Pass. But now I really hope those smaller developers, those smaller games get a real chance to shine on these platforms moving forward. And I think that bodes well for the industry as a whole. Let's move into the second uh, course. I don't know why I keep going with this weird-ass food analogy stuff. Like, I don't know. So, for this, I teased this earlier. I said that I'm calling these the backlog keys. The backlog keys to 2019. Uh, what this essentially is, this segment is exploring upcoming games that I'm excited about and going through my mind, you know, what do I need to do in terms of my backlog? What do I need to do to prepare myself for these games? Like, what, like at what point, what are my keys to success? Like, what in my backlog must be taken care of, must be completed, whatever it is, in order for me to feel fine about purchasing a game day one? Now, not every game on this list maybe I, I would want to purchase day one. Some of them I'm just here because otherwise I know you'd be wondering where is X game on this list. So I tried to include a comprehensive list of all the big releases for the rest of this year. And I'll kind of go item by item and explain what my thought process is. And this will go in order from, I guess, chronological. It'll go in terms of release date. Let's, let's start off with an example here. I think this is a good example because the game already came out. I'm talking uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses. Out and out. Came out July 26th. So it's been out for almost, you know, nearly a month. This is a game that I was really excited about buying day one. I mean, the reviews have been solid. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion online. It, you know, it seems like that real interesting cross between traditional Fire Emblem games and more of like a Persona. Which is weird because we have had 
In the past, we've had a Shimigami Tensei Crossfire Emblem game, which nobody friggin' played because it was on the Wii U, but that's beside the point. Fire Emblem Three Houses, I was gonna buy it day one, but one thing held me back, and that is what I would call my backlog key, uh, which is Fire Emblem Awakening. Uh, that is a Fire Emblem game that I have just never been able to finish. I never bought Fates, so I, I, I it's not like I'm super deep into the backlog on Fire Emblem games, but I do have Awakening. I've been meaning to, to beat it. I mean, a lot of people love the game, think it's one of the best. I made it about 10 hours in. In my mind, I can't in good conscience buy another Fire Emblem game when I have one in the backlog, especially when, oh my god, the Switch, you'll see soon, has so many great titles coming out. I just, I can't justify getting this at the moment. So, my key for Three Houses is to beat Awakening, and whenever I do, then I'll feel comfortable buying it. Hopefully it'll be a little discounted since it's released, but I doubt it, because it's a Nintendo game. Next up, we have Oninaki which is the Tokyo Factory RPG developed RPG published by Square Enix. It's coming out August 22nd. This is a weird one because I was kind of debating whether or not to have this on the list. This is kind of a late edition, but I think it's high profile enough to really matter. I played a little bit of the demo. There's a, for, you know, for those who don't know, I think this game is releasing on PC, Switch, PS4. I think there's a demo available on all three platforms, at least the eShop. I tried it. I actually really liked it. The world building seems really interesting. I don't want to. I don't want to make this segment all about like really getting into the nitty gritty of each of these titles. But basically, what you need to know about this is uh, Tokyo RPG Factory is kind of known as almost like the more indie-ish side of Square Enix. It's not. They're not independent, but the idea is that they're trying to make these more lower lower budget, smaller games compared to the big budget AAA stuff that Square Enix does. So the previous two games that they've made, I Am Setsuna and Lost Sphere, they were almost like, they took a lot of inspiration from games like Chrono Trigger, kind of top-down games with uh, uh, heavy on the story and heavy on the game, uh, heavy on kind of the combat system. I Am Setsuna was pretty well received. I want to say high 70s on Metacritic. Lost Sphere did not do so hot. I own I Am Setsuna, and I liked what I played of Oninaki, so basically I, I enjoyed what I played of Oninaki, the world, the setting, the characters, the story, all seems interesting. The gameplay seems to have taken a bit of a divergent turn from the previous games. They're not, none of them are related, but it seems like Tokyo RPG Factory is trying to go for more of an action RPG route here, which actually kind of intrigues me. I don't think it was a day one for me to begin with, but I think definitely because I have I Am Setsuna still in the backlog pipeline... I gotta finish that first. That's my backlog key for this one. But I am excited for this game. I hope it reviews well. Oh, please, God. Let Tokyo RPG Factory have one good game, please. Next one up. This is one that I am haven't heard much about. I think I've been trying to avoid a lot of the media coverage. When I went to PAX, those who have listened to some of the previous Weekend at Dave's episodes, you'll know that I tried to get in line for this game, but just was unable to schedule an appointment. And that game is Control, developed by Remedy. Coming out... August 27th. This is an interesting one for a couple of reasons, right? One is my backlog key has actually been completed for this game, and the backlog key was Quantum Break, which I just finished last night or early this morning. I want to talk more about Quantum Break a little later, about what I really d dug about it. But I, what I think is interesting about Quantum Break in this context is that Quantum Break is an Xbox Game Pass game. I alluded to this a little earlier. But it was kind of nice to... I, I own the game, so I want to make that clear. I already owned the game before I even subscribed to Game Pass. But I think it's cool that a game of this caliber 
is available to people that own the service. And it, it makes trying to complete these backlog key, I mean, in a way, it kind of eliminates the idea of a backlog key. If I didn't already own Quantum Break, I would have just been able to buy Control on its own. You know, if I had been able to complete Remedy's previous games in time for the release, that would have been great. But even if I hadn't complete Quantum Break, look, I mean, I could always go back and play it. It's on the service. You know, no worries either way. But since I owned it, and since I know it's, you know, a, a Remedy title, very similar in concept with, like, time manipulation and, like, very physics-heavy, I felt like it was very important to play through Quantum Break. To give you the long and short, I really, really enjoyed Quantum Break. I thought, I think it's one of the most underrated games of this generation, and I think it might be Xbox's strongest exclusive to date, or Microsoft's strongest exclusive to date from this generation. But I will delve into that a little longer. I don't want to take too much up from this segment. Next game up, releasing August 30th, is Astral Chain. This one has a, a pretty good chance of, of being a day one for me, just like Control. I do have some backlog keys, given the fact that this is a Platinum game. I would love to finish two games that I really am ashamed to say I haven't finished, and that's Bayonetta 1 and 2. I don't own it on the Switch, I own it on the Wii U. I own them on the Wii U. I own Bayo 1 also on Xbox 360, but eh, whatever, who cares. I think I'm almost done with Bayonetta 1. I just gotta go and finish it. I think it'd probably take like another like hour or two and I'd be done with it, and then I'd have to play Bayo 2. Astral Chain looks so sick though, and it's like such it's so it feels so removed from Bayonetta. I wouldn't feel like that bad if I just impulse bought this game, like you know, assuming that it ends up being good. Assuming it ends up being good, I'd love to buy it day one. But it'd be icing on the cake, in my opinion, if I could finish at least Bayonetta 1. But if I could finish Bayonetta 1 and 2, ooh, yeah. That would be, that would be real nice. That'd be a real, my backlog would be very happy, so. Next up, the first and only Microsoft exclusive to make this list, and that would be Gears 5, coming out September 10th. This is not even most likely. I mean, this is for sure Microsoft's biggest exclusive of the year. I played a little bit of the multiplayer beta or whatever that was included with Game Pass. It looks like more of the same. I don't think that's a bad thing. It's going to look beautiful. It's going to play beautifully. I love the fact that finally there's a female lead, a, a real female protagonist in the front seat in this game. And, I mean, it really is an important thing because for the longest time, Gears of War as a franchise has always been centered around gritty, hard-boiled masculinity and it's great to know that now we're kind of flipping the script and we're getting to see it through a woman's eyes. And I don't know, it's, it's, it's just kind of interesting. Obviously, it's a more progressive take on Gears of War, and that's something that I think we need uh, in today's day and age. But yeah, major props to co the Coalition for making this happen, for taking a step forward, trying to push our industry forward, and, and uh, I'm excited. Backlog key for this is Gears of War 4, which I, hey, surprise, I didn't uh, finish it because I think um, JD, Marcus's son, whatever his name is, not that interesting of a character. So hopefully this game will have a little more of an interesting story, but it remains to be seen whether or not I will complete Gears 4 in time for Gears 5. I doubt it. Actually, I, I think I, I didn't even mention this. I, I do plan to buy Control day one, I, th I think. I think. I mean, I've, I've, I've beaten Quantum Break, so hopefully. But as for Gears, so I guess, yeah, I haven't bought three houses. I'm not, you know, I'm not planning on buying three houses anytime soon. I'm not planning on buying Oninaki anytime soon. Control will probably buy day one, and Gears 5 I'll probably wait. You know, definitely want to beat Gears 4 before I dive into that. 
Next up, Borderlands 3 releases three days later, releases on September 13th. Uh, I'll just cut to the chase here. Like, I'm not the biggest Borderlands fan. I know a lot of people cry foul about that. But it just, you know, doesn't do something for me. It doesn't do really much for me. And plus, I have Borderlands 1, 2, and the pre-sequel that I, I, you know, thanks to PS Plus and thanks to Gearbox being generous at PAX panels and... Basically, I have Borderlands 1 Game of the Year Edition, I have Borderlands 2 and the pre-sequel all loaded up on my PS4. Gotta find a time to play them. You know, while all that content's there, I just don't see really a need to, to play Borderlands 3, especially if it's gonna be more of the same. Next up, we have... Ooh, I'm excited for this one. Link's Awakening, releasing September 20th. Yeah, no backlog keys on this from me. I mean, you could argue Link's Awakening DX, like the original Game Boy game. I played it, so huh, jokes on you. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I really don't see much in terms of what I'd need to set aside to be ready to play this game or feel good about playing it. I'm pretty caught up on my Zelda. I've played A Link Between Worlds, like most 2D. I mean, the only Zelda game that really, I, I, man, I gotta finish it is uh, Majora's Mask, which is quickly becoming. I mean, I think I currently think it's my second favorite game ever. I just need to finish it. But I mean, even if I didn't finish it, it'd still be my second favorite game of all time. It's a beautiful masterpiece. But Given the fact that Link's Awakening is a top-down 2D Zelda in the remake realm, I feel completely confident picking this up without any kind of backlog action. I feel like I've done what I need to do for that, so. Flipping this on its head, here is a game, <laughs> the next game, woo, is one that, um, is one that I am not prepared for in the slightest, in the least, and that is Dragon Quest XI-S, Echoes of an Elusive Age Definitive Edition, Wow, that's a long, that's a mouthful. That's a long title. But let me let me give you a little bit of background here. <clears throat> I consider myself a pretty big back, uh, Dragon Quest fan. It might not look that way based on how much I've got in the backlog on this franchise, but I mean, I've, I love listening to the music. The music is enchanting. I've played a solid amount of Dragon Quest VIII. I think that's one of the greatest role-playing games of all time. Uh, I think the fact that Dragon Quest VIII, <laughs> as, a, as an aside, the fact that Dragon Quest VIII came with a demo for Final Fantasy XII... I mean, Final Fantasy XII is my favorite game of all time, but Dragon Quest VIII is damn, damn good. If I if I could ever finish it, I mean, it would. It, I think it would totally rank in my top ten games ever. Like it's that good of a game. But as I said, as you, I haven't finished it, and like if you look at the games that I still have to complete Dragon Quest wise, guys, I own Dragon Quest four, five, and six on my DS. I own seven and eight on my 3DS. I own eight also on my PS2. I own nine on my DS. I've completed none of them. None of them. And I'm still kind of planning on getting 11 on Switch. No, no. I think... I'm being realistic here. I want to be Dragon Quest Eight before I delve into Dragon Quest Eleven. That is my promise. That was more to illustrate the fact that I'm completely off the map. Like, I'm, I'm just... I cannot get it together when it comes to Dragon Quest. But I I think for Dragon Quest Eleven, if I could beat the last console, like, mainline entry, which is 8, if I could finish that, I'd feel okay about that. Remember, 10, they skipped 10 in, in the West because it's an MMO. Um, maybe it comes to Switch, but I doubt it. 9 is a portable game. It's on DS. So if I could if I could complete 8, which I, I think is a phenomenal game you know, in its own right, it's probably better than 11, let's be honest. So, <laughs> But, man, I really want to get 11 on Switch just because... Ugh. The fact that we're getting the 3D version and what was going to be the, th the 2D 3DS version, like, in one package here is just, mwah, oh my goodness. I've gushed enough. I'm not going to buy it day one because I just am not ready for it. 
Another game that, uh, this is an interesting one. We have Concrete Genie, which is a uh, Sony first-party game coming out October 8th. And this is one where no hesitation for me. I think that this is just an instant buy, if it's good. Just because it's nothing quite like it. It seems very unique for what it is. Uh, very art-centric. Uh, very much a narrative story about a kid that has to deal with bullying and learns to... Uh, he, he kind of develops some sort of optimism around the world based on this art that comes to life out of his magic paintbrushers. I think that's the gist. But the game is retailing at $30. I don't think that's a sign that the game is going to be anything less than stellar, hopefully. I, I mean, I, in general, if a game is retailing at a budget price point, that's not like an indictment at all, I don't think. If anything, it makes me more intrigued because, you know, it's a, a lower price means an easier entry point for a lot of people. And when I'm concerned about dealing with a backlog and all these things, I think the fact that this is a, essentially a $30 game, most likely just because it's probably a short game. I, it's probably only like in the ballpark of like five hours long. Perfect. That's perfect for me. Like I want games that I can easily complete and this seems right up my alley. Looks like a beautiful game. So I'm excited for it. We'll see. Next one up, releasing October 25th, we have Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Yeah. Sans an actual number, even though this is technically the fourth Modern Warfare game being um, advertised as kind of a reboot, a reboot of the series. More gritty, more realistic, going to make your stomach churn a little bit. Um, I'm excited for this one. I hope it's good. I love I love the Modern Warfare franchise, even though Modern Warfare 2 is trash. <laughs> Sorry, I should, I should be more impartial here. No, Modern Warfare, like COD 4, like Modern Warfare, the original... Uh, was fantastic, and I love Modern Warfare 3, especially with regards to the multiplayer and how they had both kill streaks and score streaks parallel. And so anybody who played Modern Warfare 3 felt like they were contributing something. I mean, I thought that that was the pinnacle of Call of Duty multiplayer. It might not have been as precise as Call of Duty 4, and it might not have been as exciting as Modern Warfare 2's multiplayer, but I think Modern Warfare 3 had, like, wow, like, really well-thought-out, well-designed multiplayer. Thankfully... This game seems like it's kind of throwing a lot out the window and really going back to the series roots, so that's exciting. Um, in terms of backlog keys, none for me because, I mean, I haven't... I'm not going to lie here and, and say that I've beaten every Call of Duty game that I own, but I have finished all the Modern Warfare games. I mean, I think it's the strongest side of Call of Duty. Black Ops really doesn't do much for me. I'm not, like, the biggest Black Ops guy, so... And I think the Sledgehammer stuff uh, is, like, kind of hit or miss a lot of the time. But yeah, in terms of this <clears throat> Infinity Wars upcoming game, I'm I'm all in on it. Uh, hopefully, I think I will buy it day one. Depends on if my friends decide to get it. Also releasing the same day, October 25th, is another little title called The Outer Worlds. Not not to be confused with Outer Wilds, but this is Outer Worlds. This is the Obsidian-developed game being now, I guess, published by Microsoft because they own Obsidian, but it's releasing on all the intended platforms, PC, PS4, Xbox One, Switch. This is kind of interesting, and it ties back to the Game Pass discussion from earlier, is that Microsoft has actually stated recently that they would not be opposed to letting games, like potentially, I guess, like Obsidian games and other games from, from Double Fine, for example. I think Psychonauts is releasing on all platforms as intended, but I think even future games that are developed in-house at Microsoft might still go multi-platform. And I think this, again, ties back into the idea that Microsoft really wants to cultivate the infrastructure for letting gamers have flexibility in, in playing where they want, when they want. 
And if that's on a competitor's console, that's fine. I think it just shows that they're really not that concerned about the box and the exclusivity of the content. And I think it's kind of smart business decision, especially if Game Pass takes off, which, again, getting back to my point into this segment, originally, I was going to say, <clears throat> back before I knew anything about Outer Worlds or I, I knew a little bit about the game before I knew that it was going to be acquired by Microsoft, so to speak, and then integrate it into Xbox Game Pass. I told myself, all right, I got to finish. I mean, this is a Obsidian-developed game, role-playing game. I got to finish. I got to play through New Vegas. Fallout 3, Fallout 4, or New Vegas, but probably New Vegas uh, would be the best-case scenario because it was actually written by Obsidian, developed by Obsidian. That changes now because the game is coming out on Game Pass. Um, so I don't need to feel obligated to buy it. I mean, I, I have Game Pass. The game is launching on Game Pass day and date uh, with the actual release, I believe. And so I'll have access to it right up front. It's a game that I can just play as much or as little as I want, thanks to the fact that it's subscription-based. Nothing is lost. Everything is gained, as far as I'm concerned, with this game. And so I'm excited. I'm excited to be able to dive into this game without some any kind of feeling of guilt because of a backlog thing. Because you know what? I don't have to pay for it. It's, it's part of the subscription. You know, it's, it's being provided to us, and I think it's a real treat. So, a little bit of wholesome stuff, I think. Um, a few days later, just in time for Halloween, October 31st, we've got Luigi's Mansion 3. I love Luigi's Mansion. I'm a huge Luigi's Mansion fan. I love the original. Unfortunately, I did not really finish Luigi's Mansion 2, or I guess it's not really called Luigi's Mansion 2, but Luigi's Mansion Dark Side of the Moon, which released on 3DS a few years back. That's my backlog key for this one. I think I might break my rule here and actually buy Luigi's Mansion 3 day and day just because it's it's certainly, I think, going to have more in common with the original Luigi's Mansion, which I have completed and I love it to death. It would be a nice bonus if I could finish Luigi's Mansion 2 in time, but I'm not going to beat myself up over this, but that that's the goal. That's my thinking right now, but I just can't pass up on Gooigi, you know? November 8th, this is going to be... Uh, Probably the biggest game of, of this year, I think. I mean, it depends on where people's priorities lie, but uh, it's Death Stranding. Biggest Sony game coming out this year. I guess in terms of prestige or allure or whatever. Death Stranding is Kojima. It's going to be sick. It's going to be weird. It's going to be frightening. It's going to be cool, though. Here, I have set... Uh, interesting kind of backlog key for myself that is to finish finally metal gear solid 5 the phantom pain i uh i made it deep into that game i just didn't finish it i loved it i really did love that game to, to bits i just couldn't bring myself to really finish it i guess other things took over but this is one that i really do want to stick to i feel like even though the games aren't really that similar <clears throat> yes they're both kind of open world but they're i mean they're completely going at different ideas i mean one's a brand new ip and I mean, I, let, let, let me make this let me make this abundantly clear. Like, if I don't finish Metal Gear Solid Five by the time the Death Stranding comes out, I'm still buying Death Stranding. Like, I think I have the game pre-ordered. Like, I'm getting it. But I'm trying desperately to set this up so that Metal Gear Solid Five is checked off the backlog by the time the Death Stranding comes out because I feel like I owe that to Kojima. I think I owe it to <clears throat> the developers that worked uh, the the common links between. Uh, the Death Stranding team and the Phantom Pain team. I, I feel like I want to go in with an appreciation for all the work that's come before. So that that's kind of where my head is at there. November 15th, we've got two sets of games, both of which have backlog keys, I believe. First one up is Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Uh, I wasn't super jazzed about what I've seen about it so far. Um, you can read, maybe I'll link the article, but if you, you've, maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't. Long story short, I'm just not 
wowed about it right now, but I'm keeping an open mind, and hopefully the game is solid. Um, I think there is a lot to like here, and I'm, my fingers are crossed. If I do end up getting it day one, I think I would love to take care of some respawn stuff that I have left in the backlog to just rot. Thankfully, when it comes to respawn, a lot of their stuff is multiplayer-centric, so Titanfall 1 was a multiplayer-only game. I played a good amount of that. I feel good about that game. Apex Legends, I never really got into it, but then again, it's free, so no skin off my back. Titanfall 2, this is the one that I think I'll need to really wrap up. I didn't play too much of it. I played a little multiplayer, a little single-player. Didn't love the single-player, but I heard from a lot of people that it really is a phenomenal game, um, so maybe I just didn't give it enough of a chance. I'll definitely go back and, and finish off Titanfall 2, I think, if I'm going to get Fallen Order. I got it out of respect for Respawn, out of respect for my own backlog and my own sanity. I'm going to go back and do that. The other game or set of games that released the same day, November 15th, is Pokemon Sword and Shield. I'm planning on getting Sword. I don't know about y'all. But in terms of a yeah, backlog key, it's I have a hard time finishing Pokemon games. I have... In terms of open items, I have Pokemon Black for DS. I have Pokemon X for 3DS. I have Soul Silver for Game Boy Advance. That was more of an impulse buy, that last one. But uh, I don't know if I'll finish any of them in time for Pokemon Sword. I think this this isn't necessarily an important day one buy for me. I, I think I could skip over it and feel okay. I mean, there's some important changes being made to the formula with this game, and it looks kind of cool. It's got that Breath of the Wild feel for literally the wild area. But I, I think I'll survive. I don't know if they'll do a you know a, a, a new Pokemon straight up for next year. I mean, I'm, you'd think so, but maybe not. So it's hard to tell. I mean, it's this is going to be one that'll be hard for me to pass over. Like I really want to get it, but yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna beat myself up up over it if I just feel like I have too much Pokemon at the moment. I'm kind of on the fence about this one, and if I was going to purchase it, I would hope... Soul Silver is one that I know I'll play down the line. I mean, a lot of people consider it the best Pokemon game ever, so... Maybe I'll finish Black. I really liked Black. X, I wasn't... I, I didn't love X, but X wasn't bad. Um, I never bought Sun and Moon, so that's kind of a point in my favor. I don't think I'll ever play it. Yeah, I'm not the biggest Pokemon guy, but maybe Sword will be just so good that it'll just caused me to impulsively go out like a zombie to the store. Just buy one. We'll see. All right, wrap up the list. Let's get this done. Um, <laughs> November 19th, we have Shenmue 3. Uh, I'm not going to buy this day one because I am so far behind on my Shenmue. I also think this game doesn't come out this year. I think it gets delayed to 2020. I don't, I don't see this. I don't see this game coming out. And if it, if it comes out, I don't even know if it'll be good. I still have yet to play Shenmue 1 and 2. I own the remastered collection, so I have to play that. Either way, I don't think I'm buying this game uh, up the uh, right off the bat. I just too uh, too much other stuff, and you know what? I got a lot of Yakuza games I got to play, guys. So, finally, final game of notice that I think people probably want me to mention on the list is Doom Eternal. Comes out November 22nd. I'm not the biggest Doom fan. Uh, I have Doom 2016. It's fun, like it's cool. You know, I don't know if it's enough. I, I just, I don't think I'm the audience that, that Bethesda's catering or its software is catering to with this game. So I'm perfectly fine to not really work towards completing my backlog key for this game. But who knows? If it's like out of this world, maybe I'll reconsider. But that is this segment. Hopefully not too long winded, but had to get this off my chest, had to share a little bit. Yeah.
And to end this very special episode of Weekend at Dave's, I said earlier I was going to talk a little bit about Quantum Break. I got to talk about it. Got to talk about it. Quantum Break, uh, man. You know, it's funny because, you know, Microsoft got a lot of flack for the lack of first-party content. And I think it's it's a shame that when they did have some solid games, they were overlooked. I talked about Sea of Thieves. I think a lot of people overlooked that game. Uh, Crackdown 3, nobody overlooked that game. That game was not good. Uh, but Quantum Break, I feel like this game did, like, so many things interesting. Like, it had so many unique ideas that I feel people really didn't value at the time. This game came out in 2016. And this is the one, I'll just remind you about it. It's a time travel game, you know, typical remedy, like crazy, story-driven, time-related, like alter, you know, like every remedy game kind of has some kind of time element to it. So like Max Payne, you'd literally, you'd have bullet time, you'd slow down time and like John Woo style as you're flipping over a table and, you'd, you know, shoot some guy's head off. Alan Wake was kind of more of a horror you know, you know, Max Payne was more the noir style. Alan Wake was kind of horror, Twin Peaks, kind of weird psychological thriller uh, that kind of played with light and shadow. I think it had some time elements. If not, it, it was definitely about flashing your your flashlight. I mean, basically, Remedies always had these really involved gameplay hooks. Uh, and Quantum Break was no different. You were manipulating time. Basically, the game gave you like just a ton of different time-altering tools to play with. It's a third-person shooter. And you had, like, uh, abilities to stop time, like, where an enemy's situated and, like, shoot bullets into that, into that little circle or sphere that you've stopped. And then it powers up your bullets for an easy kill. You can dash around. You can open a, sh you can have a shield around yourself. Uh, you can do, like, a crazy time crash move. I mean, this sounds crazy, but... I'm doing a poor job explaining it, but long story short, the gameplay here was, I think, probably the strongest gameplay I've seen in a Remedy game to date. Um, but that's not even, like, really the main draw of the game. I mean, like, the game is very fun, and I think that it should be remembered for its excellent gameplay. But I think, more importantly, the game had a really unique way of dealing with the story. The game is broken up into five acts or five chapters, and while the game is not super unique in the actual content of the story, basically, if you've seen any sci-fi, time travel, matrixy kind of movie, you're familiar with all of the time travel ideas put on display here. The difference he, uh, with Quantum Break is that it's delivered in such a fascinating way. Basically, at the end of each chapter, each chapter takes place like a traditional action game, traditional third-person shooter. At the end of each act, you take control of the game's villain. I won't delve too much into details at the risk of sharing spoilers for those who haven't played yet. And you are able to make one of two decisions at what the game calls its junction points. And by making a decision at these junction points, you are, not only are you altering the story to be told to come afterwards, but you are also personalizing what is to come immediately after, and that is a television show that ties in to the story of Quantum Break, to the game story of Quantum Break, with its own cast of characters, all live action, uh, some overlap between the characters in, in the game and the characters in the television show, but basically... The, the, this is the first time I've ever seen a game where 
a developer has really tried hard to up the ante on the cinematic level to not only you know, focus on cinematography, focus on storytelling, but try to weave in actual television in between the different gameplay chapters of the game, and it's fascinating to me. It works surprisingly well. The cast is actually surprisingly robust with talent from shows like Game of Thrones, The Wire, Lost... Uh, I'm sure many others. I, I'm blanking on the list of actual actors, so in order to make sure that I'm, I'm providing the right details, I will include a list of the full cast in the article on the Punish Backlog. The acting took a little while to take off, in my opinion. I think the first episode or two felt a little ham-fisted, a little cheesy. Over time, I really started to care about the characters and the motivations, and while it's not the most... There's not the most... Depth you've ever seen. This is you don't make 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 no mistake. This is no Breaking Bad. This is no Lost. This is no character develop character first television. But by the end of there are four episodes in total. By the end of the fourth episode, I I was pretty much on the edge of my seat, uh, loving every second. Uh, in fact, if there's one thing that I I am not that I wish the the game had done better, it was I I wish that the game had really bookended. I wish the game had been bookended by these television episodes rather than start with the game, have four episodes interspersed, and then end with the game again. It just felt like, at a certain point, I feel like the game had to take precedent over the television, and I feel like that was a detriment in the long run. But getting back to why I really uh, wanted to bring up Quantum Break and, and, and have a dedicated segment to it, it's not even really about like the quality of the television show, and it's not even about the quality of the shooting, the gameplay, the mechanics. Like Both of those are really good. It's the fact that I feel like this game really took a leap of faith in in trying to connect, trying to weave together live-action cinematography, live-action television, and, and how consumers consume that right by watching it, and playing the game. And I think that it was a really novel idea. It's something that people haven't really bought into. I don't I, mean, I don't know any other developers that's working on something like this. And it's something that actually reflects the decision Microsoft's original angle, which was for Xbox One to be more than just a gaming console. It was supposed to be an entertainment box. It was supposed to let you watch television while you're playing a game, so you can be playing 2K while watching a basketball game. I mean, it's that sort of outside-the-box thinking, you know, no pun intended, but it's that outside-the-box thinking that has made Microsoft still relevant to me in today's gaming discussion. And, I mean, literally, I guess, no pun intended now, they're, they are trying to move outside the box with all their, their Game Pass efforts. They're not playing loyal to any one system, even their own. Like, like sometimes it seems very counterintuitive, but when, uh, when you think about the business that they're running at Microsoft, the Xbox team, I, I think they're making some interesting choices. Of course, they didn't develop Quantum Break, this was a Remedy game, and, and Remedy, of course, Control is now a multi-platform game, so they've, they've severed their ties with Microsoft. But at the same time, I mean, I, I, I can't help but applaud this game. I feel like it was a, a very interesting game at the time. It was a lot of fun, great writing, but yeah, it was incredible. As with every other Remedy game that's come before, there are also many collectibles scattered around that help enhance the, the overall gameplay experience, and in fact... A lot of the collectibles might change depending on your decisions. So certain certain collectibles, if a certain character was arrested or killed, 
they're not going to be the one on the receiving end of an email chain, for example, uh, whereas in the parallel time reality, they might be. So that adds another layer of uh, replayability to the main campaign. It adds another kind of layer of depth to the to the story. There is one pair of collectibles in the game that are just incredible. I do not want to... I do not wish to spoil this. In many ways, I think this is more entertaining than the actual story itself. It is a screenplay for a movie that somebody in-game was trying to have a superior at their at their job look over for them. I will link it in the article on the Punish Backlog, but man, that that's it's 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 so great. Even it, till now, I, I I can't I can't get over it. But yeah, Quantum Break, really interesting game. Tries a, a lot of new things. I don't think it's the most unique game, nor do I think it is the end all be all game of this generation or anything like that it, it might not even be the best microsoft exclusive of the generation but it's damn good and it's definitely worth a playthrough for those interested and you know good news it's on game pass so those with game pass hop on anyway that concludes this episode of weekend at dave's thanks for bearing with me i know a uh, little bit of a longer episode than you might be accustomed to with from me but it was great to, to share all my thoughts Surely I've had a lot build up over time since it's been a while, but I promise that the next episode will be sooner rather than later as a little hint as to what might come down the pipeline. My anime fans, watch out because we might have something cool for y'all. And yeah, this is David Silbert signing off and have a beautiful week, everybody. Everybody.